We are celebrating badass business women. Today, I talk to Chola Lungu, a designer of Afrocentric clothes, educational material, and empowerment programs for youths. You are listening to the Africana Woman Podcast. I am your host, Chulu. Every week, I ask an Africana woman to invite us into her home to give us a snapshot into what happens behind her closed doors. I hope you would join me on this journey of discovery, revelation, and self-awareness. I'm not going to lie, it may become uncomfortable sometimes. However, I encourage you to push past your unease and challenge yourself to think differently. The simple act of expanding yourself to receive the unknown may be transformational for you. Have you noticed how we women want to save the world? but we do it for free or even worse to our own detriment. I remember my grandmother was like that. She would always be giving away everything just short of the clothes on her back. Some called her Santa Claus, others called her Robin Hood. (laughs) The problem is we think it makes us look like good people or holy people when we are charitable and selfless. Sis, if you give everything away, your supply will eventually finish. And then, not only can you not help anyone, you can't even help yourself. And you end up standing in line begging with the people you used to help. I blame this mindset on two things. One, religion. And two, our colonizers. They gave us charities and non-governmental organizations and made us dependent on handouts. We have to switch from the non-for-profit model and embrace for-profit organizations that are sustainable, profitable, and solving social problems. That is exactly what a social entrepreneur does. So, If you know you are called to work with a certain demographic or for a certain cause, do not automatically equate that work with charity. Instead, think about how you can make it empower the people that come into contact with your work. I had a great conversation with Chola Lungu, who is essentially a social entrepreneur. Chola The owner of Poleka Designs is a fashion entrepreneur, Zambian culture promoter, and 2014 Mandela Washington Fellow. She is a trained runway model and a fashion designer. Chola recently also became an author, and her book, which is called Lemonade, is an introduction to financial literacy and environmental issues for children. It is a proudly 100% Zambian product where the author, the illustrator, and the publisher are all Zambians. Chola is also an independent communications consultant who has worked with government, NGOs, and the corporate world in designing internal and external communication strategies. In addition, Chola is passionate about working with youth and women. She has been a volunteer at Africa Directions in Mutendere for six years and with Njira for four years, which is also in Mutendere. 
Injira provides the it provides free fashion and design courses for GBV survivors. So please enjoy this conversation and I hope you will have a different understanding of what it means to be a social entrepreneur. It doesn't mean you have to be poor. Eh? <laughs> enjoy dear. Hi. Hi. <laughs> How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. You look lovely. I know you've had Thank a busy you. day. <laughs> yes, it's been crazy, but I made it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining. So I was just telling the audience a little bit about you and um, and your brief uh, bio, which is that you are a designer, but we want to dive deeper into who you are. So could you tell us a little bit about your background? Oh, wow. <laughs> Okay, so I'm trying to keep the camera straight. <laughs> As you said, my name is Chola, Chola Lungu. My mom's from the north, uh, that's where the Chola comes from, and my dad's from the east, that's where the Lungu comes from. I married uh, now with three children. I have two sons and a daughter. Yeah. yeah. I'm passionate about working with young people and just helping them make uh, decisions, responsible decisions early in life. Um, I just always wanted to teach and my parents wouldn't let me, but I think my, my career has kind of led me back to that. Yeah. Uh, my degree is also in politics and sociology and I've ended okay. up working in mostly communications. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Politics and sociology. So when you say your parents didn't want you to teach, what did they want you to do? Well, I come from a very political family, so I think that was a bit expected. My dad wanted me to, my, although my dad wanted me to be a pilot, I don't know why. <laughs> uh, my mom, yeah, my mom, I think, thought more uh, diplomatic service or, mm. I don't know, but they didn't want me to teach. But I've ended up and I love it. <laughs> Okay, yeah. so um, you are a fashion designer and um, you are a um, fashion entrepreneur or I guess also a social entrepreneur. Can you tell us a little bit about what it is, to, what it means to be a social entrepreneur? Um, I think for me, it's solving problems while making money. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's good. So, <laughs> so there are problems, like I work with youth in Tendere and Chilenje, and mm. I work with, with 30 young men. Those are my mentees that I've been mentoring for the last three years. But oh, when wow. the women's side, I work, yes, when the women's side, I work with um, Njira, which is um, an organization that was set up for uh, survivors of gender-based violence and young women who haven't completed school. So we teach them fashion and design. So mm -hmm. while talk, helping them, while counseling them and helping them go through their, their issues, we teach them how to sew and design. And what I do is I go in, I volunteer, I go in and, and make the, the product ready for market. I mm -hmm. look at the quality, I, I give them ideas of how to improve. So that's the social entrepreneur side of it. Ah, I see. So um, what happens on the, I guess, the, the market end and um, selling the products? The profits go back to the ladies, to the young girls? 
mm-hmm. a percentage of it and then to the, to the organization. Okay, okay. So this is an organization that you founded? No, I'm, I'm just a volunteer. <laughs> I've been going there for four years now. Okay, no, that's fantastic. That's great. Um, well, I also know that you are an author of a book called Lemonade. And I, I was very excited when I saw it, when I saw that you had launched it. Um, tell us a little bit more about Lemonade. So Lemonade um, is really an introduction to financial literacy for children. I started writing it in 2014 when I was in the U.S. On, as a Mandela Washington fellow. And this is because I saw children selling lemonade and I was wondering what they were raising money for. And my sons were much younger then. But when I thought about how my, my sons treated money and how the kids, kids the same age spoke about money was very different. So I started writing it then and came back, finished it in 2015. And for me, it's just that we never talk about money with our children. My parents never discussed money with me until I was much mm-hmm. older. So it's a discussion I feel we must have much earlier with children. It's a mm-hmm. book that I want uh, a, a reader, a teacher, a parent reads it to their children that it will encourage conversations around earning money, valuing it, and also saving it. So for mm-hmm. me, it's like the first edition to just setting the foundation and introducing characters that the children can follow and, and use or, or copy. <laughs> mm. And what has, the, what has been the response so far? It's been really good. I mean, um, people seeing more than I was expecting. <laughs> you know, when you've worked on a project for so long, sometimes you're so your your ideas are so narrowed down to the one point you want to make, but different mm-hmm. people reading it give you perspectives of what they're feeling or what they're seeing or the reaction from their children. I like the reactions from, from children more because I think mm-hmm. they made me also see the environmental side of it. Children mm-hmm. also made me see the teamwork side of it. Um, mm-hmm. It's based on an orphanage that's about to be sold and then the children sell them. I've been encouraged the owner to to um, renovate an old warehouse where they start selling lemonade. So mm-hmm. it also somebody also to, spoke about um, finding simple ways of making money, especially for children that you must show them basic ways and that you don't need like a thousand dollars right now, but you can start small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, yeah, definitely financial literacy is something. I guess people or our parents assume that it's taught somewhere along the way in our education. Like there's so much money that's spent on education. You know, you go to university, but then, you know, no one ever really sits you down and just says, okay, this is good financial management. And then when you grow older, you find someone has got a very good job, but they're living hand to mouth, you know, and it's, um, yeah, I do agree that it's so important to start young and having these conversations. I really do commend you on that. So I'm actually curious, why are you, um, you said that you mentor 30 young men and why do you, why do you have that interest in mentoring young men? Um, I think for so long I've been having events for for young women, it came natural because I know at what age, what they're feeling and what they respond to. And then I think having sons was, was the first challenge. Um, just thinking, mm-hmm. okay, 
what do boys want? What, how can I inspire them early? How can I motivate them early? Mm-hmm. And so I started having conversations around with, with, um, with youth at Africa Directions, where I'd been going anyway to do other volunteer work and just to help with my research around designing programs for adolescents. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started first just by watching, bringing, inviting guests like other men, like men to just come in and talk to them. And I realized that we've made a lot of assumptions around how males process things, mm-hmm. how they assimilate information. So for me, I was just like, okay, I'll adopt them for a year and work with them. Then it went two years and now we're three years. Some members in the group have come and gone because they leave town or they moved to another location. So mm-hmm. half of them are from Tepeo and the other 15 come from Chilenje. So, yeah, I mean, it just kept growing. I honestly thought I'll have two or three, you know, workshops with them and we'll be done. But I kept thinking, gosh, we've made such assumptions about what they think about the female body, the female mind, about themselves, the pressure that comes from just society, expectations. Um, yeah, and so that's, that's how it's still going. I'm still learning. Yeah. <laughs> I can't say I've figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> So give us an example of something that is an assumption society, I guess, makes on young men. And um, I mean, myself, I've got a son who is going to be 13 in um, a month. And, you know, I'm just curious what um, what are some things that I may be taking um, for granted? Mm. It's just that we keep saying, we keep assuming that because you're a man, you're supposed to know certain things and you're supposed to have a certain kind of order and you're supposed to have things sorted out by this age. There's just expectations that are put on men. Best of all, it's okay, you can't cry. So the mm-hmm. emotional side is, you can't really show your emotions. So don't even dare break down and cry for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also like at a certain age, you should have moved out of your parents' home and you should be earning a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. And then they're getting married out of peer pressure. And they have mm. no idea what to do with them. But the girls, from the time they're little, they're, they're playing with their dolls, they're playing with little pots, they're being socialized from a very early age of, of cooking and cleaning up and looking after everyone. And the boys are just, they're just allowed to play. So, mm. so to ask a 30-year-old guy to become serious and manage a home when you haven't been helping him. <laughs> yeah. And this girl is serious and her expectations are so high, it just doesn't match. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that's very true. I think, um, especially like um, in our Zambian culture, when it comes to educating uh, with like traditional education, you know, a lot, there's a lot of concentration on the woman, but then who is actually mentoring the young men and, you know, helping them? Because, I mean, when you look at the statistics for divorce, they're so high. And you wonder, because, you know, it seems to be a rigorous process. You, you've got your, your church counseling, then you've got your traditional uh, um, lessons and all of that, but somehow still we have such a, a high number of um, divorce cases in the country. Yeah, so there's definitely a disconnect somewhere. Uh, yes. I think so, one party is very ready and the other party is kind of figuring it out as they go. Mm, mm, mm. So what do you think um, 
can be done to help our our young men? So you've got a, a program like you've started, but then when we're looking at our, you know, we've got our nephews and so on, what can we do to assist them? I think just as much focus as we put on girls to prepare them for their future, we must do with the boys. Mm. Whether it's issues of their own bodies, their hygiene, mm. um, whether it's money, whether it's relationships, because one of the conversations I had was just on just basic relationships, like what relationship do you have with women, with your mother, with your sisters? And um, one of the guys actually said, it's so sad that nobody trusts me because there's so much defilement. Mm. Suddenly nobody the kids, everybody looks at us as we're guilty before anything has happened. Or, you know, everybody just <laughs> assumes we, we, we will do the worst you thing. You will harm them. Yeah. You will yeah. harm them. Mm. So I think with just as much energy and as much focus and, and you know, uh, passion, the, the pressure we put on girls, you know, before they hit puberty, even young boys before they hit puberty need those lessons on, you know, you need to take a bath, you need to be clean, you need to be, respect people. What do you and, and I mean, I have conversations with my sons now because they, my boys are 10 and 12, only because of what I've been seeing. I don't think if I had been going, doing this for the last three years that I would um, be this open or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or make But how are your boys to, though? Are they open to have conversations with you? Because when I start talking to my son, he's like, oh my God, like stop. <laughs> I mean, they do start like that. They will definitely, yeah. um, they will do that, especially the older, the 12 year old, the 10 year old is still like, yeah, he just did 10. So he's like, yeah, okay. So I'll say, what's happening to your body? What's going on? I mean, you have to be as blunt as possible, just as, mm-hmm. as graphic as you can be with girls. Even with boys, you cannot be shy about it because somebody else is going to give them information and it, it you know, it, you won't be able to control it at that point because then you've been giving them little small doses when somebody else would just open up a whole <laughs> mm, kind of worms, worms right? <laughs> so, yeah. and, and I'm curious with your, um, the, the young men that you mentor, how old are they? Like what range um, of ages are they? Oh, from 16 to 30. <laughs> Oh, 30. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's interesting. That is interesting. Okay. So, and then how did they feel about a woman coming to speak to them? Um, did they, um, did they, yeah, how, how did that pan out? Um, I think they've been used to me going to the center to run other programs. So they, mm-hmm. they, they know me and I also, in the beginning, when I wanted to target just those 30, I brought in a lot of males. So mm-hmm. I was probably usually just emptying it. And then eventually I started, you know, with questionnaires and asking more questions and bringing in women as well. So they, mm-hmm. they, they relaxed. Yeah, they relaxed. And a lot of them are peer educators. So they're, they're pretty open uh, young men. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sis, are you like me? I literally live by my calendar. If it's not on there, it does not exist, nor does it happen. But quick question, are you on your calendar? I don't mean all the activities that you do for and with others. I mean, do you have a day that is all about you? 
not babies, not bay, not work, or anything else that keeps you busy. I'm asking you to be your own bay. So one day a month, Africana Woman will host in-person events in Lusaka that give you permission to practice self-love. This is not just another networking event. You know, restaurants and cocktails. No, darling. Instead, we're partnering with local businesses to give you unique experiences like paint and sip, a ladies hike, or a body positive dance class. Like, you do not want to miss this. So come on then, join us, sign up today, be your own bay. Find the link in the show notes or go to africanawoman.com. Now back to the conversation. Do you think that there are enough um, male role models in our society? Wow, no. <laughs> I think we need we need a lot more. I mean... You know, when I ask them things about the conversations they have with the males in their lives, they're just like, they speak to us when they're sending us or when they're upset with us. Mm. So mm. They're, not, they're not really, for girls, we have so many opportunities to have conversations with our sisters, with our aunties, our grannies. That at every stage, there's a woman kind of speaking and mentoring. Some of the women you just follow on social media and they're mentoring you. But for 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 men, it's not. It doesn't seem like it's coming natural for them to to actually seek a, a mentor. Mm-hmm. So, for the mentors themselves, I think unless they're professional mentors, they're not spending time just you know like women. Women find all sorts of opportunities to speak to young girls for free. So it's, it doesn't come naturally to them as it <laughs> as it does to us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm, mm. And and, yeah, do you think um, that's a cultural thing in terms of um, us maybe not being uh, comfortable with um, speaking about our emotions, or where do you, why do you think there's that that block to say that you know for an older man to only speak to a younger man when they they want to send you or they're upset with you that is quite um a powerful statement yeah or or when they they say they want to get married so it's a serious conversation it's just not uh, <laughs> by the way let's have a talk about about what you're feeling today or you know what you want to do with your career mhm mm. So I don't yeah. know. It's, I mean, it's, it's, most anywhere you go, I think males just don't have as many conversations as we do. We will have so many conversations over anything, over a cup of tea, you know. But men, unless, you know, maybe in, in the pub, but I think half the time they're bragging about stuff. I don't know what they talk about in the club, in the pub. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they're sitting mentoring each other. <laughs> mm. No, it doesn't. So I think I just feel like for the next generation of of our young males, there must be plat- more platforms and more opportunities for them to to open up about about life. That's so true. I think you know, for the women, it's so structured, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it will take us some time to to get to that same level. I think for the men, but I'm still hopeful, and it's wonderful that you are 
you know, one of the people that's pioneering such work. So I wanted to find out more about your um, your work as a communications consultant. What exactly do you do? What does that look like? Um, okay, so it started off with me um, being a PA in a bank just after university. And so I was a PA to... Um, he was head of consumer banking at Standard Chartered. And just mm-hmm. when I joined, he told me I was going to, you, they, would, they, would, you know, they would organize a branch managers conference and I should just go and get branch managers from out of town settled. So I went there mm-hmm. and while I was waiting, a gentleman asked me for, to use my phone to make some phone calls. And then he, he went in and I realized my talk time was finished. And so, you know, when he was leaving, I said, you know, I thought he was just one of the speakers coming in. So anyway, I said, you know, I asked my, I told my boss, I said, the gentleman came and asked for to use my phone and he finished my talk time. And he said, did you tell him? So I said, yeah, I asked him to please have it replaced. And he said, I must contact his office because we had a lot of speakers coming in from different institutions. So he said, oh, actually, that's the, that's the new MD. So, I was just like, no. And yeah, so that was like a Friday. Monday, he asked to see me. So I went from North End, I went to, to MD's office, it was like Central Town. And I was just like, I'm fired. I'm just fired. I'm, I'm gone. <laughs> so he said, okay, nice to meet you. I'm the new MD. And I hear you've also been here like a few weeks. I said, yes. So he said, oh, I'd like you to be my PA. And that's mm-hmm. where the communication started. And he made sure I got trained in corporate affairs, in diplomatic mm-hmm. studies. He just made sure I became a communications person. So when the boys were really small, I decided to join the NGO world and then still mm-hmm. as a communications person. And when I left for more employment to be on my own in 2014, I started mm-hmm. working on communications properties. And that's what I've been doing since 2014 is just getting hired to go into organizations to design communication strategies, internal and external. Yeah. Hmm, fascinating. So that's interesting. Um, what made you decide to to jump out on your own? I think a lot of people have reservations about, you know, working for themselves and they're worried, they're used to the, having that pay paycheck, you know, come in every month and then you know that, okay, it's reliable. You know, even if I sit here and do nothing, someone is going to pay me. <laughs> so what made you so brave as to switch to working for yourself? It was really hard, but I think one of the main things is having a supportive partner who allowed mm-hmm. it and said he was making enough. And the bigger thing was I'd applied for the Mandela Washington Fellowship and I was, you know, I was chosen to go and it was a six-week program and I wouldn't get that kind of leave from work. Yeah. So it meant um, going away and quitting my job and hoping for the best when I got back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what I did. Came back and, yeah, you know, people refer you, you hear something and it's it's just happened every year. Another consultancy comes in with mm-hmm. government, with telecom, with uh, NGOs. So it's, it's been uh, a constant flow of, <laughs> of that. And I, then I also started, got introduced to um, teaching cultural awareness to non-Zambians, especially non-Zambian CEOs. And then just spilled okay. over to training Peace Corps volunteers mm-hmm. and culture awareness for 
I just, you know, the communication is just, it's just been, I don't know, getting bigger by itself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I hear from your career is that you have definitely diversified and you're not just focused on uh, one income. You know, you've got your communications, you've got your fashion on this end. Um, and then, of course, there's also lemonade and, you know, the, the volunteer work that you're doing. Um, what advice would you give to um, a young lady that's thinking about working for herself? And, you know, she, like, she doesn't know what to do. She's kind of like on the fence. What advice would you give her? You have to have, yeah, it's really hard. I mean, you have to have an income, definitely. And don't leave your job until your side hustle is making enough, until mm. you've grown your network you know, for you to be comfortable enough. If it can, you know, it can, it can pay you enough, even more than your salary, then that's good. If you're enjoying it, that's good. But don't jump before you find it. And also mm -hmm. while you're working, start doing, start doing something else. Because I started doing a lot of these cultural events while I was still working for the bank. And mm -hmm. whether people bought tickets or not, you know, I'll still, I'll still get my salary. Like you said, um, I did lots of uh, like book reviews. And, you know, whether people came or not, you still get your pay. So I think start your chicken business, start your baking, start, you know, your writing before you leave the paid job. And, you know, when, when, when the side hustle is not doing too well, at least, you know, the paid job can cover up. And mm -hmm. yeah, both ways, you can actually go both ways. And also to pace yourself, because I don't do everything all the time. Mm -hmm. So, like, like now it's kind of getting quiet. Now would have been Zambia Fashion Week time, but then because of Corona, oh, I would have yeah. focused a lot. A lot. Yes. Yes. Oh, the things that have changed. <laughs> yes. Oh. So September, October is when I really do go into clothes, into design. Although I did do mm -hmm. a couple of independent dress for, for men. Um, I mean, there's always like a consultant in the background helping, you know, pay the day-to-day -day things. And then the writing comes in, you know, you make some huge sales. Sometimes it's quiet for months. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. So it comes and goes. Peace Corps, goes, Peace Corps volunteers are not always streaming in. So when they come... Yeah, so it's just, and just find opportunities, you know, see what's happening in town and get involved in something. <laughs> mm. So yeah. what is your, your, I guess, your business structure for your fashion label? Because you said that this is the period where you, you become more busy. So um, during the year, where are your clothes available or how do people access um, your designs? Okay, so it's been it's it's actually was like a hobby that that grew. <laughs> I was doing it to distress to just have fun. My background in the fashion industry is I a trained runway model. When I lived outside Zambia, I was I went to a finishing school where I was trained in like charman beauty and then runway and yes. And when I moved back here, the modeling industry here wasn't that developed. But then mm -hmm. I'll still go like for to Pretoria to be retrained. So I think the last time I went was probably like five years ago to 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 be able it's really to to almost like get certified to train models. Okay. okay. But yeah. So that's where the fashion interest came in. So with the clothes, before I used to get orders, people would come in, the usual business of I turn my garage into a shop. 
do measurements, but it became too stressful because it was a business being run at home. So if a customer wasn't mm-hmm. happy, they would come into the house. So what I <laughs> what I started doing now is just making lots of stock, advertising what I have, and sell what's in stock. Uh-huh. And then that's it. That's what I did for when independence. I made shirts for men, advertised to those I knew would buy, and you know. That's interesting. That's an interesting idea. I'll tell you which outfit that I really, really love is um, it's like a white, almost like a shawl with a kente um, inside and a white skirt. I love that. I was like, I have to have, to have that one. <laughs> that was so pretty. Thank you. Thank you. That was so pretty. So I'm curious though, because you know, you you have had, you know, exposure to living um, outside of the country and a lot of people, you know, when they get that chance, it's like, oh gosh, goodbye. (laughs) And you know, they're just going, (laughs) there's no coming back. So what made you want to come back to Zambia? Ah, because I was away for nine years. Also, Ooh, you just miss time. it. Oh, you miss it. You miss the structures. You miss the family support. And now with the mm. kids, um, it's the support systems really that you you miss. You know. And I think I started doing all these um, culture awareness programs because I felt like I missed out on a lot. I felt mm. I'd missed enough kitchen patterns and materials, and I didn't understand them. But thank God I spoke the language very well. Yeah. Um, that I speak Pemba very well. Um, you, it's just home, you know. After a certain point, you just want to go. I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't go, but I think I'd still want to retire here. <laughs> mm. Mm. Home is home, huh? It is. There's something about just, you know, <laughs> having your NRC <laughs> and being legal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And being legal, that's the one. That's what I said. Because I lived abroad um, for seven years. And I think in my final year, my visa was denied. I was just like, you know what? I'm not about the illegal life. Let me just go back home where I can just walk into a place. And if I apply, no one will say anything. Yeah, I, I yes. totally understand. Yeah. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah. So you, you are a Mandela Washington Fellow, um, and that is a, an amazing program. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about your experience in that program? Oh, wow. It was really, I mean, I was in the first group that, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it got named Mandela Washington Fellows while we were still in our universities. So 2014 is the year I applied and about 2,600 Zambians applied and then they shortlisted 100 and then we went for interviews and they picked 22 of us and Mm -hmm. we got sent to almost like almost 20 different universities across the US and this was with fellow, you know, African students from, from everywhere. So... I was, and some some countries had more people than than others. So so when I, where I went, there were three Nigerians, maybe mm-hmm. two South Africans, but I was the only Zambian there. And we all lived like in a kind of a big brother house, but it was a um, a hostel. I was yeah. in uh, University of Texas in in Austin. Uh-huh. So and then, yeah, then I was already married and had kids, so it was really awkward to have a roommate. And um, I had a brilliant, <laughs> brilliant roommate from Nigeria who. Yeah. 
who who came up with like a mother's delivery kit that she was selling because mm-hmm. i mean she said to me like they don't the, the government hospitals there don't ha- don't provide what the hospitals here provide so mm-hmm. she came up with a kit with all the all those things because a friend of hers has died a few days after childbirth mm-hmm. and she had never had kids herself but now she's had two <laughs> so mm-hmm. she was selling that and and the obamas really liked it and i know she was called back to the white house like like twice and um she actually won some money for it so it was interesting that i had i hadn't been to university in a while so it was going back to school we had classes every morning uh we had to do community work once a week there was lots of dinners lots of pitching which i didn't know anything about pitching um in my application i wrote about wanting to build um a cultural village where we would preserve who we, we are Zambians um in an audio visual way not like dead museums <laughs> you just yeah. walk in and there's just things or but a more intera- like interactive I wanted to build an interactive space where we preserve who we are so that's how I got in and so I had to pitch that over and over and over again for 6 weeks in the beginning mm-hmm. they would let us talk about it like for 15 minutes then they kept cutting it down and by the time we were living in our sixth week you had to talk about it in gosh like three minutes with 10 slides so okay. and you know being africans we love, we love a good story so before we get to the <laughs> it was the toughest thing i had to do is cut down what i'm trying to explain because mm. i want to give examples i want to tell you my problem i want to tell you so It, it had its challenges i mean you know with being away from home and away from mm-hmm. your kids is highs and lows and in the end you just want to go home but the nice yeah. thing about it is you know the last week we got to meet president obama and michelle obama and, and biden <laughs> so, oh, did. Awesome. Yes, and at the time we were there his wife joe biden's wife was here actually she was visiting zambia in 2014 oh, okay. so So it was a really really nice time but you know you come back home you you also go through like a another cultural ori- orientation or you know because you've been used to high speed um internet, internet. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah celebrate and then I think I've never been so celebrated in my life you know like everywhere you yeah. went they were It's like these are Obama's people there was so much celebration oh. around us there was so much yeah. it was so funny when we got back home you know you get to the airport and there's one person receiving you but when we were there like there was always people moving us around people managing us we were so managed that mm. <laughs> you said feeling like a little, a little celebrity then you come back home <laughs> and it's just like ah okay i need to okay, and, and then there's the yeah back there's lot shedding there's the <laughs> And I hear some people actually get depressed after programs like that because they're not prepared to they're not for six weeks it's you you you're really well taken care of it's not like they're giving you money but you're fed well you're exposed to senior people in Google to like very rich people who come and talk to you about their businesses I was in the business and entrepreneurship so we were meeting a lot of business people in Texas people so it's you know we it, it was it was very It was a very nice experience to be honest but when you come back home is i think when you think okay yeah. are those some of the things that like practical here yeah like can i still do some of those things here can i you know how can i but i think one of the things is just makes you brave because everything i thought about 
I've thought about doing since I got back. I've done whether it's flopped or not. I'm like I'm writing the book. I'm doing yeah. education material in local languages. Yeah. I'm doing it. Who do I need to see? Me? I'll just go and knock. And if I'm told no, I'll keep knocking. Because mm-hmm. even with lemonade, I mean, I finished, I finished writing the book in 2015. Only last year is when I got a yes by Natsafe to print a thousand copies. I was oh, getting okay. so many no's. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, it kind of teaches you some assistance. And mm-hmm. yeah, you just a bit harder. <laughs> mm-hmm. So are we going to see the interactive museum anytime soon? Wow. I moved into the space I thought would be the museum, but <laughs> hope is not gone. I, think yeah. I, should, I, I still I still want to do it when the, maybe the kids are a bit older, looking at options still. I still want to, you know, taking the kids to the museum is, is really boring. They're not too excited about it. It's nicer if they can. It's nicer if they can hear things, watch little videos. You know, um, it should be more. You know, they should be part of the documentation. And I think we wait. We wait too long to document people here. Mm. You know, the, 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 I love love American museums of people who are still alive. I mean, documenting people like Will Smith and Destiny's Child and. They're still here, but they've already started. We kind of yeah. panic when the person dies to try and put information together around, okay, what did they do? What did they do? But, um, <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's something I still want to do after raising these guys. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe I'll, I'll do it. I mean, I've got it on paper, so I think it's just waiting to do something. Yeah, for the yeah. You know, something you said um, a little earlier was, you know, there are things that we learn, um, you know, in other countries and which, you know, they, they're teaching us. But then when you come and think about it, like, does it really apply here? I always have this struggle with, you know, do those concepts actually work in the African setting? Um and I, you know, I just wanted you to talk a little bit more about that, in terms of you know what what are the things that we we can definitely use to adapt to our lives, and you know what may be some things that um, may cause a little tension or may not be as successful. I think some of them are very basic, just as basic as timekeeping. Mm. <laughs> It's just being on time for things. I mean, we we can't keep saying Zambian time. <laughs> if you can be, if you can respect other people's time and do business on time, I think that would would that you can uh, you can do here definitely. We're never late for flights. But we're late for meetings. <laughs> we don't miss our flights very often. Right. <laughs> That's true. Mm. So it's just it's time and also. It's just confidence. You know, even today when I was I was giving out or distributing books, it's when you ask kids here, when I'm interacting with kids here, they're very shy and they're not very assertive. I mean, you will get your, your mm-hmm. a few that will pick, put your hands up. But when you work with American kids, I mean, the kids that actually pushed me to start doing lemonade, they're selling lemonade by a street and they're like, oh, I'm raising money for a book. This one's for a video game. And one even had a, a one for tithe. They're so much more confident um, mm. One thing that I think is, is is scary from that end is they're very competitive and everybody mm. wants to win awards. Everyone wants to be the first, first, first. 
So I think when it comes, when you bring that here in a, in a society, or in an environment where everything is very fair, I mean, one of the things kids here learn first is it's not fair. <laughs> um, it's very tough to bring competition here. Um, one of the, something I always talk about is my, my younger son, when maybe three years ago, a sports day at school, he was running and he was right in front. And then he stops and starts waiting for his friends. And he's like, oh, come on, come on, let's go. So, oh, so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah, the mother yeah we want them to be competitive but i don't know if we're um, equipping them early to to be as aggressive in business or aggressive in in fighting for your space yeah mm. it's, it's very comfortable we still have enough resources there's still enough room for everyone to to blossom mm. and do their own thing but there is stuff, you know, as you, you, you kind of start early, like who are, they speak about themselves highly, they speak about what they want to do, they seem more focused on things. I think we're a bit, we're, we're a bit softer here. I'd like to kind of bring some of that <laughs> assertiveness. Like a good balance. Yeah. A good dose, not too much of it, because it's here to border on being arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah. we want to bring it in a healthy, in a healthy dose. <laughs> so true. All so right. Like yeah. yeah. Okay. Cool. We have come to an hour. Thank you so much oh, wow. for your time. Oh, wow. I know it <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts, any final words um, for African women um, out there? For African women, wow. Uh, my final thoughts are just look after yourself, eat right, love right, allow yourself to love. If your heart is broken, go through the process, heal, allow yourself to mourn and give yourself a deadline, get out of it, <laughs> start again. <laughs> I give myself deadlines. If I'm upset about something, I'm like, from Saturday onwards, I'm not crying about this anymore. We need, mm. I need a new strategy. This. So have strategies for every area of your life and move on mm-hmm. and try things. Dare to try, dare to write the book, dare to bake, dare to call a CEO and say, let's have coffee. I'm interested in what your company does. Just be bold and be a bit more daring. Be bold and a bit more daring. I hope you've heard, guys. Bussy uh, says thank you. Um and let me just go back to the comment that I saw earlier. Did you say it? it says, uh, wow, I didn't see it that way. I think we were talking about how um, young men um, are not actually mentored. Yeah, so and that's what it's in reference to. She says, wow, I didn't see it that way. Girls are being groomed from an early age. Um, and boys, I guess nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So thank you it's so much. I was mentored. Sorry, say that again. I said men need to be mentored. <laughs> they do, they do, yeah. And I feel it so much, especially with a, a son. And I'm always like, you know, with my uncles and aunts and and whoever, whichever man, I'm like, guys, talk to him, talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
you also need to talk to him so he can come no, to you I first. <laughs> first. First reaction is like, oh my God, I don't like, please just stop talking. <laughs> but I do, I try. I'm just like, okay, today we're going to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so, so much for just spending time with us. It has been a delightful conversation, getting to know more about you and all the things that you have done. Um, wishing you all the best with all your future ventures. Looking forward to seeing the museum, uh, which will be interactive and we'll be bringing our children and referring people. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Hi. I love Chola's story because she doesn't sugarcoat entrepreneurship. As a woman with a diverse portfolio, she does not do everything at the same time. There are peak periods for certain projects. Sometimes business is busy and other times it's slow with months in between contracts. But I believe she still does it because she found her purpose. Don't be afraid of slow seasons in your business. Your strategy should be to plan ahead financially to buffer those slow times. After this conversation, I hope you can rethink your approach to solving a social problem. You are not a martyr and charity is a crutch. Choose to give people dignity and transferable skills. Please find Chola on social media at Chola Lungu. Tell her you heard her on the Africana Woman podcast and give her her roses today. Dear listener, thank you so much for making us part of your day by listening in. I really, really do appreciate you. Don't forget the new Africana Woman website just launched. So please check it out at AfricanaWoman.com. And then if you could just do me one little favor. Please help me to get the word out about the Africana Woman podcast. All you have to do is take a screenshot of this episode and post it on your social media stories. Then don't forget to tag me at Africana Woman or Chulu by Design. I love seeing your feedback. And you can also rate and review the show on Apple Podcast. This really helps with exposing more African women to the podcast. Now, you know my playground is Instagram. If you want to chat with me personally, drop me a line. So until next week, I want you to remember, know your roots, grow your purpose. This has been a production of Ulendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.ulendocreative.com.